What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I am your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And uh, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, just thanks. Thanks for all the love. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for uh, sharing, rating, subscribing. Appreciate it. it uh, and uh, 2020 is going to be a really great time for us. So um, this latest episode is a recording of a seminar at the 2020 Tennessee Turfgrass Conference and Show. It's Dr. Brandon Horvath. He gave a uh, talk about the history of the turfgrass, turfgrass industry, and um, kind of talked about the where it, how it all got started, what some of the things that were done back in the day and uh, where we're going to now. It's a really cool talk. I really enjoyed it. I think you're really going to enjoy it too as well. If you heard it, I know you're really going to, uh, it's probably going to re uh, uh, sort of uh, bring back some of the things he talked about. And if you haven't heard it, then you're really going to uh, get a kick out of it. I think it was a great talk. And so um, just sit back. Uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Dr. Brandon Horvath, university professor at Tennessee at Knoxville, and he gave a talk in the 2020 Tennessee Turfgrass Conference and Show, uh, The History of the Turfgrass Industry. So uh, today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about a topic that I get to spend a lot of time talking about in the fall uh, in a class that I teach uh, called The History and Impact of Turf Grasses. This is a little bit of a different talk, so we're not going to get into a lot of data, just uh, some pictures and, and kind of talk about uh, some of the things that uh, I've learned over the years from uh, teaching this class and kind of getting to dig into the history of our industry and really uh, understand kind of the underpinnings of of uh, where we come from in terms of our, our turf grass management. And I've given this talk a couple of times and it's, uh, it's, it's an enjoyable one uh, because we, we get to see some kind of interesting uh, things that uh, develop. So I'm gonna give you kind of an overview of the kind of the history uh, and, and the way, the reason why I like to do this is that I think it's important that we recognize like where we've come from so we can have an idea about where we're heading. And um, I want you to think about like, what kind of impact this might have on me today in terms of how I do my job. And uh, of course, prior to a mower, we had mowers. Uh, they're just a little different shape and size, right? And one of the things that's interesting is when you dig into this, you think, okay, well, sheep, okay, that makes sense, right? Um, most of the grasses over evolutionary time, like so over really long periods of time, have co-evolved with the animal species that tend to graze them. So if we look at grasses as a whole, 
grasses that we call turf grasses have moved their growing points, their crowns, down lower and lower and lower to the surface, predominantly because of its re the response to grazing. So a plant like wheat or corn that's a grass, if we cut that off, it doesn't regrow because that growing point is up high. And as these grasses that we call turf grasses have evolved, they've been grazed by different animals. And the grasses that we think of like on golf courses, bent grass, finely fescues, things like that, they have growing points that are very low to the soil surface. And the reason for that is that the animals that typically graze those on the lynxland and the areas of, of the world where these grasses evolved were predominantly not these guys, but rabbits. And grasses that we typically think of as little taller grasses like tall fescue, uh, Kentucky bluegrass, perennial ryegrass, these are grasses, Bermuda grass even, these are grasses that evolved more in an open savanna where they were grazed by ungulates, which are the hooved animals like sheep and then cows, buffaloes, things like that. So they tend to predominate a higher height of cut just because of how these animals graze them over time. So we had you know, animals and now it's kind of a, you know, a, you know, a neat thing to have a herd walking around but uh, we don't typically see this because we have to avoid the pellets and things like that out there on the fairway, and I'm not exactly sure what the ruling is now. Uh, there did used to be a rule in golf that you could, you could move if you were in a pile of manure or dung because uh, you had uh, these animals out there mowing for you. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, this is the sickle. Okay, it's an important distinction. So this is the sickle. And this is kind of where we moved to after we had the animals. So the thing that's interesting is you go back and look at some of the historical documents. This was an excellent tool for uh, cutting uh, grass uh, in a local, you know, like a, a lawn very close to a palace, uh, typically reserved for the children and, and the ladies. Uh, it was best used if you were on your hands and knees, kind of cutting very closely to the turf. Uh, also used for harvesting wheat and cereal grains. Uh, this implement, anybody know that one? The scythe, yeah. So the scythe, uh, the thing that's interesting to me, you know, let's leave off the PPE, you know, don't need steel toe shoes, right? You're swinging that blade out there. The, the thing about the scythe, when we talk about a scythe that's used for cutting grass, is that the, uh, it's different than the scythe that you see the Grim Reaper holding. Okay, if you notice the Grim Reaper's scythe, it's, the blade is kind of straight up and down. There's no curve to the handle, right? So there's no curve on, this, on, on the, the Grim Reaper's scythe. And that's because his scythe is what's called the war scythe. And that's designed to cut people in half when you swipe across it. This is cutting turf, so the blade is angled to the shaft. And it's best if you get it custom fit, not unlike your golf clubs, right? is you want to you get this custom fit to your height. It should be at the proper height so that you can use it in a sweeping motion. And what's interesting is you start reading about how the grass was cut with scythes, and about 50 people could cut a couple of acres a day, at roughly eight hours in a day. And the best time to cut grass with a scythe is when the grass is wet with dew. That's when you get the highest quality cut. And so I contend that that's the reason why, leaving aside that we got to get out ahead of play and all those kinds of things, the reason why we get up early in the morning and do that. 
In addition to that, it was also kind of preferred that if you lived in a palace, you know, you didn't want to see the folks cutting the grass. So you wanted that done before you got up, right? So that's the other reason why the, uh, the folks got out and got this scything done. And you can get very high quality of cut with a scythe. The trick is you have to knock out all the little dings every day with a ball-peen hammer, and then you got to sharpen that every single day and keep it very finely, uh, a fine edge on it to get a high quality of cut. And then it requires a pretty decent amount of skill to mow anything shorter than an inch. If you get shorter than an inch with a scythe, you've got to be, you've got to be uh, swinging it with a pretty great deal of skill. And you can see that this guy clearly, I mean, with the lack of shoes, he knows what he's doing. Uh, there's videos, if you're interested, on YouTube. Just search scythe on YouTube, and you can find uh, folks racing uh, the string trimmer with the scythe, uh, and the scythe wins most of the time, so those of you looking for a job for maybe somebody that comes in a little late, uh, maybe look at a scythe. Stick them down in the creek bank, see how it goes for you, right? So in 1827, we get the first uh, mower, and this is Budding's mower, and, uh, and what's interesting is that Budding was just an inventor. He was kind of a guy that came up with ideas and solutions to problems. He was walking through a factory in England that was making wool uniforms for the British military, and it was cutting the wool and shearing off the, the, the loop of the wool so that you had a nice smooth uh, woolen surface and getting rid of kind of that, the, the curved uh, fabric of the wool and, and making it nice and uh, uniform. And so this, this cutter consisted of a spinning drum with a stationary blade and he kind of went, you know, light bulb, I could maybe use this to cut grass. And so he came up with a, an instrument to you know, shrink the size of this thing down and to have this spinning reel against a stationary bed knife and, and took it out and came up with this, this uh, implement to, to mow turf. And that was in 1827. And it's a pretty nice little device. You can see it's pretty simple. We've got our, uh, we've got our engage lever there, right? Not unlike what we have today. So that engages this little gear over here and that goes back against, you can kind of see the teeth on the drum. So it's driven by the drum and then that engages this gear which transfers it over to this gear which with the differential in, in teeth between the large gear and the small gear spins up the reel to a speed that can cut grass. And then you see this little thing. Anybody have any idea what this is? Yeah, it's a push-pull device, so it takes two people, one pushing and one pulling. And that's because, you know, back in 1827, they didn't have aluminum and, and plastic and composite, right? They had cast iron. So this is a little bit of a heavy object to push uh, through the turf. Uh, again, you know, maybe something to look into for somebody that comes in late, something, you know, hey, let's go out and mow the surrounds today. This will be, you'll, you'll be using mower number X. And you just have it over in the corner with an X on it. And they, huh? Right? This guy, you can see how happy he is. Right there. 
He's excited because he's excited to be using Budding's mower, not one of these other mowers, especially this one that you can ride on. He's, he's excited to pull it. And uh, the first couple of people that bought it were the uh, Botanical Garden in London and Oxford. So the zoo and Botanical Garden and Oxford were the two places that first bought Budding's mower. One of the things that we do in class is we look at some of the impact that the ads had on uh, us adopting some of these practices. And this is a picture from one of those ads. One of the things that's interesting that you see in this picture that you don't see in these previous pictures is you see the appearance of the grass box. So we're already collecting clippings right out of the gate, right? And then anybody have any idea what these wheels are? Transport's a good guess. How to control mowing height, yeah. Because, you know, cast iron is a little heavy to try to hover it along, at, you know, an inch, you know. So you had these wheels that you could, you could roll it and it would maintain that height by doing that. Kind of an, a simple way of controlling height, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, we, we all talk about how hard it is to control height and things with some of our adjustments today. And this thing had had a pretty simple way of figuring it out. So this was one of the ads, and it, and it talks about how the, the machine will cut and collect grass on a lawn containing 200 square yards in 25 minutes. And so we go and we kind of figure out in class, we go, okay, so 200 square yards in 25 minutes. And we figure that up, and we do the math, and we also look at uh, what some of the other reports talk about that a science person could cut. And we do a little bit of backwards calculating. We figure out that it would replace, and some of the ads talk about replacing eight sizemen that can do a quarter acre an hour, 200 square yards in 25 minutes. And when you get done doing the math, we figure out that you have to be walking at 10 miles per hour to get that done. So it's kind of amazing that we've ever moved beyond a scythe, right? Because mowers obviously got widely adopted, uh, but 10 miles an hour is a, is a bit much for a cast iron piece of equipment. Uh, and anybody that has calculated out walking speeds knows that you can really move at walking pace where you're officially walking and you're not doing the Olympic power walking thing at right about three and a half miles an hour. And then you start breaking into a slow jog at four. And uh, so 10 miles an hour certainly wasn't possible. Some other things he invented, he invented a revolver before Colt, uh, and he invented a, uh, a thing that's called the spanner, right, which we know is a wrench, and, uh, and this is kind of the, the adjustable wrench, so it had the screw to set the width, so you could have one wrench to adjust the width and, uh, and open up uh, nuts and screws and so on. So from there, when you look historically across time, what happens is what you realize is that from, from this point, everything becomes a little bit of an improvement, but it's basically the same concept, right? So we start to see the disappearance of direct gearing because that requires some, some precision and it also increases wear because if you have a, a little bit of a mismatch, you break a tooth, you have to put on a new gear. So we start to see chain-driven instruments still, still powered by the drum, but the chain is now connected to the gearing to allow the reel to spin up. 
We see different widths. So this is right in the heart of the industrial, industrial revolution. So this is where we start to see the emergence of the middle class, right? And we see the appearance of free time. So people in the middle class, they're trading their labor for a day's wage, and now they have a little bit of time off because they have machines to help them do the work. And so now they have some time at home. They can start taking care of a yard. Okay, so that's where we start to see the appearance of landscape management and things like that. And so we start to see different widths. This is, I think, an eight-inch width for just a small lawn, maybe out in front of your, your house. It's maybe the size of a couple of tables. Be a little much to be, uh, you know, mowing a, uh, a larger area at eight inches wide, you know, back and forth, back and forth, right? This is called the silence messer, which means silent cutter. And we start to see like an improvement in how quiet the machine is. You know, it doesn't sound uh, as, as loud as previous machines. We've messed around with some steam power, which is interesting. Right about the turn of the century, about 1900, we see uh, the steam-powered uh, mower. Uh, pretty interesting contraption. So you got the, uh, you got the, the boiler there. You know, this is oil powered, not coal, fortunately for the assistant superintendent of this, this uh, instrument. You know, don't have to come in early and get the, get the coal box fired up, but you do got to get the oil going, got to get the steam going before you can mow. So you got to be in a little earlier than the crew. Uh, you got to hook the hose up, so you got to have a water supply. That's important. Um, this baby rolls in at about uh, 2,000 pounds. Yeah. So you get your mowing, mowing and rolling done in one pass. Pretty nice. 36-inch uh, machine, 145 pounds, you know, pretty reasonable price. So, uh, you know, and it even talks about the firebox and the boiler. Um, trick here, uh, what, what happens to, to, like, steam locomotives and things if you don't quite get it right? And boom. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it, you know, on the radio? They didn't have the radio, but... You know, uh, Ryan, can you come out to three? Uh, yeah, it had a little bit of an incident on three. The, the green's gone. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting, all right. So we didn't mess around with that very long. We see, you know, as everybody knows, anything with a seat is better than something that you got to push, right? So we start adding a seat to this, to these contraptions. Uh, this is an early Ransoms mower, so Ransoms, Cushman uh, company, so you, you kind of think about that, so that's a company that's still around today. Uh, 137 pounds for this one, that, when you do the math on, uh, you know, figuring out with inflation, it's about $15,000 for a one cutting unit ride-on piece of equipment, kind of an interesting comparison. So that's about $20,000. Start to see some walking internal combustion greens mowers. Like, how do you like that? That's a, that's a nice engine, isn't it? Service and that, your mechanics would be like, oh yeah, that's great, love it. Notice we still got the sheep. They're still taking care of the rest of the golf course. Anybody know what this, what this place is? Yeah, there's the Swoken Bridge. There's the rail sheds that you got to hit over on 17. Yeah, and, and I always wonder, it doesn't identify in this picture, they don't identify him, but I always wonder if that's Honeyman. Because it's not old Tom, we can, we can recognize that. 
Honeyman. Anybody know who Honeyman is? See, he always gets the shaft. The assistant superintendent. Honeyman was the guy that old Tom, when he figured out the whole top dressing thing, because we all kind of are familiar with that, like, oh, we spilled a wheelbarrow of sand and the grass grew better. Let's keep doing that, right? Well, the, the cry that they say is attributed to old Tom is more sand, Honeyman. And Honeyman was his assistant. So the assistant superintendent always getting the shaft. And I always wonder if this is Honeyman, because you can just see kind of that look on his face. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but... Also interesting to look at the ads of the day because they tell us something about the culture and the times. So at the turn of the century, the, the big thing about taking care of the yard was that it was designed so that children and particularly ladies, the ladies of the house can, could take care of the yard. It was considered kind of part of the home writ large. And because the men were working, it was considered the woman's job to take care of the home, and that included the outdoor grounds. It wasn't until World War II, when GIs came home from World War II, where we start to see kind of that shift in typical division of labor from indoors to outdoors. And so all of the ads of the time show like little kids pushing the mower, talking about how easy it is to cut and how easy it is to push. Uh, Frank Turner sent me a couple of pictures that I wanted to include because they, they're kind of a little more modern in the, in the 20s, uh, 1920s. Um, the Ideal Power Lawnmower Company in Lansing, Michigan, getting ready to go there later this week. So this is a little, uh, little drum mower. So we start to see, but again, it's the, it's the basic design that still exists today. We still have, the other thing that's interesting is so a seven blade reel, right, high speed. Best ball bearings money can buy, right? Got some gang mowers, the bulldog. That's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, I think. And then you can take it off and throw a, throw a bicycle wheel on it and transport it over and use it for your greens, too. So that'd be kind of cool, have a little thing you could take those off. How about this baby coming in at 159.10? Got a Zerk grease gun thing you can use to get the Zerks and grease it up. I remember doing that. Nice little mower. This is a tor one of the Toro ponies. This was one of the early Toro mowers. Okay. If you go into the Turfgrass information file and look at the OJ Knower image collection, you can actually find an image of a superintendent meeting in the late 1920s at Holston Hills where they're showing off this pony mower. And it's, it's the, the thing of the day. All the, all the superintendents in their suits out there on the green like looking at it, Toro guy mowing, looks pretty cool. Like I said, you can see kind of the, the era. This is right at the turn of World War II. We get this nice contraption. We have the inventor of the hovercraft to thank for the fly mow. All of us know the pleasure of maybe fly mowing a, a stream bank or a bunker face. Uh, yeah, it's as, uh, yeah, yeah, right. It's easy as using a vacuum cleaner. Sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, we get these robotic autonomous mowers. We're seeing a lot of those. 
using some sort of like random walk kind of thing. They don't mow like this. So they don't mow the way you might mow an area. What they do is they just basically randomly move through here, hitting the guide wire and kind of turning in a random direction. And so at first it looks a little weird because you've got a bunch of misses. But once the height gets down, then the mower comes out every day, and you just never see the grass get any taller. It just keeps mowing it all the time. And so it's, it's an interesting uh, application. I think as we move forward, we're going to see more and more autonomous pieces of equipment that can mow areas, and the areas are going to get larger. That's still, to me, that even with some of the new things that are coming out, when you look at how high they can cut and how long they can go to mow any kind of large area, you, it, the math is, it, you struggle to make the math work. We've got mowers that'll mow greens autonomously. This is a, a pre precise path mower, uh, now well, with Cub Cadet, I think, and they use like a local positioning system. But again, even with all of this tech, it's still the same process, right? It's a spinning reel, with a bed knife and all the other stuff is extra. It's basically Budding's mower. And the thing that, that I try to get my students to understand is that, it's, it, that for everything that you think is new, it's pretty much the same as it's always been done, right? And, and this is from uh, John Ray's Flora, which is one of the first texts on horticulture and turf management uh, in the world, 1665 not too long after Gutenberg invents the, the, the printing press, okay? So in that, in that same ballpark. So we're starting to get written texts. And that's why it's a little odd. If you look at it closely, those of you up front that can see, there's, there's uh, Fs for, uh, for certain things uh, that don't make sense, like grass is spelled G-R-A-F-S, and the F is because S is one of the most popular letters in the English language. Right? It's the most, one of the most frequent. That's why you get it on Wheel of Fortune in R-S-T-L-N-E, right? When you get your first letters in Wheel of Fortune when you're in the big prize at the end. And so when you're putting all those together to write your book, getting all those little letters ready for the press, you run out of S's. What am I going to do? Um, F kind of F looks like an S. I use an F. We don't use enough F's. Right? So... It's, it, it's interesting to see that, but what's also interesting is this is about laying sod. And so I'm going to read it aloud, and I want to ask you a question at the end. So it says, the next work is to prepare the place intended for grass and to provide turfs for them. First, level the ground and consider the thickness of the turfs, which when laid must be three inches lower than the upper edge of the rails. This is like they're laying out a fancy garden, okay? So the rails and allies, we don't worry about. So three inches lower than the upper edge of the rails and the allies four inches, so the grass will be an inch higher. Remembering still from the rails to fetch your measures and level to keep the whole work in order. And if the ground under the grass be not barren of itself, it should be covered some thickness with hungry sand to make it so that the covered, to make it so that the grass grow not too rank. The best turfs for this purpose are had in the most hungry common where the grass is thick and short. Prick down a line eight or 10 feet long and with a spade, cut the turfs thereby. 
Then shift the line a foot or 15 inches further, and so proceed until you have cut so far as you desire, then cross the line to the same breadth that the turfs may be square, and cut them thereby. Then with a straight-bitted spade or turving iron, which for that purpose provide, a short cord tied to it near the bit, and the other end to the middle of a strong staff, whereby one thrusting the spade forward under the turfs and another by the staff pulling backward, they will be easily flayed and taken up, but not too many at a time for drying, right? But as they are laid, which must be done by a line and a long level, placing them close together and beating them down with a mallet. Having covered the quarter or place intended, let it be well watered and beaten all over with a heavy, broad beater. Lastly, cut away by a line what is superfluous, that the sides may be straight and even, or in what work you shall please to fancy. Now that's how you should explain laying sod. <laughs> Green side up. Keep the seams together, beat it down when you're done, and give it a good watering and keep it wet. It's the same as it ever was. And on top of it, even the sod cutters, foot or 15 inches, let's set aside big roll, foot or 15 inches, that's kind of what sod cutters are, even today, right? Maybe 18. Why do you suppose that is? Yeah, that's about all you can handle, right? You get a foot and a half by, you know, three or four foot long piece of sod. That's about all somebody can, can move, right? So a lot of this stuff is the same because it's the same, right? The, uh, the other thing that's interesting is, is this turving iron. Short, talks about a, a straight-bitted spade or turving iron. I looked up turving iron. It's what we call a sod knife, like the, with the staff, right, and the little little half-moon shaped thing that you sharpen and slide under the turf. That's all he's talking about, right? So it's, it's, the, the process is the same. And so what I want, want to leave you with is, and I think I'm trying to get us back on time. How are we doing? You're good, man. I'm all right? Okay. So what I want, want to leave you with is that with all of these developments and all the technological change that we see, most of what we do in terms of managing turf is the same that we've ever done. It's just maybe a little more technology, a little more ease of use. We don't maybe have as many mishaps in some circumstances. The pieces of equipment are easier to use. But the process of actually accomplishing the job is basically the same as it's always been. And it's good to appreciate that and understand that we do have a pretty long history. I mean, this goes back to to the 1600s, if you dig back a little bit farther, we, get, we can get back on golf back into the 14, 1300s. But, you know, that's, that's about where we start seeing sport and things uh, start to occur is in that, that 16 to 1700 uh, and then into the Industrial Revolution. So it's kind of nice to see kind of where we come from and those, um, those procedures and, and processes haven't changed all that much from then. And so I always take that as kind of a good thing that, with the technology that we've had, we're still accomplishing the job and doing it the way we're, we're, we're wanting you know, to provide a high quality surface uh, for the folks that use it. So with that, I think I'll take some questions and, and be happy to uh,
Yeah, we are more than back on time. Awesome job, Doc. Uh, so any other Skysmen in the room that have any questions? Just raise your hand if you've got a question. All right, we're going to transition from Doc's talk. Uh, and he's going to be around. Obviously, he's getting a big award tomorrow night, but he's got a couple of talks uh, later in the show. Everybody knows how to get a hold of Doc. But um, 